So I got this letter in the mail uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I'd like to read part of it to you. Dear Father Barr, I wanted to take a moment to express my gratitude to you for visiting my mom at Park Avenue, it's the nursing home in town. Back in January, you saw her on her last night. She went to God the few hours after you gave her last rites. In all the emotion of that night, I never got your name. So I had to do a little investigating to track you down. I live in Connecticut and my sister's in Riverhead. So we weren't familiar with the church or the priests in Long Beach. When I called the rectory to get your name, I didn't know who to ask for. The secretary said that there were three priests in the parish. One was African, one was Korean, and one was Irish. And by the way, she said the Irish one was the cutest of the three. <laughs> That's what she wrote here. I'm just telling you what she wrote. That's She said, my recollection from that night was that you didn't look African or Korean. So I asked for the name of the Irish one and the mystery was solved. And then she takes a couple of sentences and she talks about her parish in Connecticut, which she's very frustrated with. She said, uh, it's just kind of a, a dying place one of her kids, I guess the year before, had to, was making his uh, confirmation and there was some issue. I think he had, a, like, he was going to be delayed with it because he had been in the hospital for a while and there was a legit, sounded like a legitimate reason to kind of be flexible and they weren't. They were just being difficult. She described this very frustrating, uninspiring church. And then she talked about the pastor, and he was worse. She said he was just this, he was making her crazy. He was absent, he was arrogant, very inflexible. So she said she was just kind of very down on the church and priests. And then her mom had this stroke and she said that just made it worse. Now she was becoming down on God. So she kind of went through this like faith rut. It just wasn't really adding up. And then she says this in a letter. So very simply a word of thanks for being there for us. We got you up in the middle of the night and you gave my mother the time she deserved. She was a great woman whose faith never faltered. We lost my brother almost 40 years ago. He was 16. In some ways, she never really recovered, but without her faith, she never would have survived his loss. So it was very comforting for my sister and I to know that she left this world being able to receive the sacraments. Anyway, we're grateful for that. Please remember us in your prayers during this 
difficult chapter. We miss her a lot. She said, here's the irony. On one of my worst nights, I felt God's love. Sometimes the best and the worst come together. You know, we don't get a lot of those calls, so it wasn't a big deal in terms of, it was no hardship by any means for me or any other guys, the other priests would say the same. In fact, it's kind of a privilege to be in those moments. I mean, getting the call at three in the afternoon is better than three in the morning, but regardless, they're just these very powerful moments it really is kind of a privilege. They're heartbreaking. But they're also kind of beautiful. Not the suffering, but the love. You just can't miss it. You can't escape it. And I remember it that woman, or, you know, I remember these two sisters. I don't know which who was who, and I don't know who wrote this letter, and in all honesty, I'm not sure if I even recognize them now, but like I said, we don't have that many. We don't get that many of those calls in the middle of the night, so I do remember them. You know what I really remember? It was just the love that they had for their mother, their presence, they were talking to her. They were holding her hand. They were kind of stroking her arm. It really was beautiful. Like in this objectively awful moment, there was beauty. Doesn't God show up in the strangest of places? kind of the moments you'd least expect. I mean, I think that's what transfigurations are. That's what, we, that's what we just heard from or about in the gospel, the transfiguration of Jesus. What's a, what's a transfiguration? I think there are these moments, unexpected moments, when God shows up. I mean, God doesn't really show up. God's always up. God's always here. But sometimes God expresses himself in different ways, in an unexpected ways, new ways of kind of seeing God. Like I think that's what a transfiguration is and should be. It's what happened to these three apostles, Peter, James, and John, Jesus says to them, hey guys, come with me. We're going for a walk. They walk up this, hike up this mountain. And then it just, it's incredible what happens. It's like a, like a science fiction movie comes to life. All this crazy supernatural stuff. Lights and voices and these dead Old Testament prophets coming back to life. It is this wild moment. Why did it happen? Like, why did this transfiguration happen? Well, you know, Bible scholars and theologians forever have been kind of asking that question. 
You know what a lot of them say? It was very practical. Peter, James, and John needed that moment. They needed it. Because down the line, they'd have to reference it. They needed that memory, that, conf that confirming memory that he's the one, that he's not just some great prophet. He's not just some awesome preacher guy. He's from God, he is of God. And he's the one we gotta follow and tell other people about, and even maybe be willing to die for. And very practically, they needed to have this memory, this experience so it would be a memory. Because you know what was coming soon? Good Friday. It was all gonna blow up. It was all gonna hit the fan. It was gonna be ugly and dangerous and frightening. So in the midst of that, they'd start to question and probably run, and they did. But I wonder what brought him back. Maybe it was like, maybe they thought, man, why did we run from him? Why did we deny him? Why did we pretend we didn't even know him? Because we did know him, and we know what he was about. Remember the, remember the day on the mountain when all that crazy stuff happened? That wasn't a dream. You know, it's like the, these, these guys, like, you wonder, why would they need this? I mean, they witnessed all the miracles. None of us has witnessed any of the miracles that Jesus performed in the Gospels. These three witnessed all of them. And by this point, when this transfiguration happened, the miracles had already happened, most of them. It's like, wouldn't that be enough? It's like, yeah, I don't need a, another crazy supernatural moment. I don't need any more confirmation. I guess we do. Maybe that's the point. Because we forget even though we, we see God at work, we witness God's presence in our lives, we forget and we second guess and we get scared and we get lazy and we get tempted to go other places and we forget. So man, if, it, if, if, if Peter, James, and John needed it, and for God's sake, we need it. What do we need? We need transfiguration moments. We gotta get good at recognizing God at work in our lives. You know, I knew this years ago. There was a priest in the diocese. Uh, he's since died, but he was a wonderful guy, very respected, very holy guy. And I remember uh, being out with him, me and a couple of priest friends at the time. We were out to dinner, and it was during Lent. And he was telling us what he was doing that Lent. And he said he got a journal, like a diary. And he was just writing a lot of stuff. Every night, he'd take 15 to 20 minutes and just write. Write about his prayer, write about people, write about his experience of God. But specifically, what he did this Lent was, he said, every day, I'm gonna pick a person I know, a friend, family, I don't know, neighbor, co-worker. And I'm gonna write their name on a, on a page and I'm then gonna just think about and then write down what I, what I love about this person or at least respect. I'm gonna write this the list of their qualities, the things that make them shine. And we were like, 
okay. Like, we were kind of wondering why and figured he was going to then maybe communicate that to these people. And that wasn't even his plan. He said, no, I just want to, I want to make a record of, of them. And we were still kind of like, well, what, why? And he said, um, he said, I need to file it away. I need to put it in a place that I will be able to retrieve. Because one day, that person may disappoint. In fact, one day they, they will disappoint. We all disappoint because we're not God. And when they disappoint and when they screw things up and maybe even hurt me, I want to look at that page in the list I wrote. I want to remember the good. Man, how important is that today, right? Especially in this like cancer culture attitude. A person's entire past is, dis is ruined, it's irrelevant because today they did something wrong and I'm not making little of wrong. I'm just saying we're not defined by one sin or even two sins. And that's what this guy figured. You know what, when I'm disappointed or hurt by somebody, I'll have that. I don't know, I just thought it was kind of a, an interesting exercise. I had a, uh, maybe about five or maybe about seven years ago, there was a kid, um, he's not even a kid anymore, but he was a, a former student when I was at St. Anthony's High School and I hadn't probably talked to him in 15 years and he reached out, he was engaged, getting married and he asked me if I would do his wedding. And I looked and I couldn't. I, I forget what I had, but it was kind of a significant and I just, I couldn't make it happen. So I kind of just said, yeah, I'm, and I'm sorry, I can't do it. And anyway, a couple of days later, I got a note from him and he, he thanked me just for being willing and he understood that I probably couldn't do it. But then he, he, he added some stuff to this note. He said, um, our conversation got me thinking about my high school years and some of the people who helped me through difficult days. Maybe it's the upcoming wedding that's got me more in a, in a more reflective mood, but I just wanted to thank you for being on the scene when I was a kid. I think I read, I've read this letter before. I love it. This kid, was uh, he transferred into St. Anthony's and uh, he had a very tough time of it. He hated it. He moved, he moved from, I think, out of state. So he came to this place where he knew nobody. And it was a very, very tough beginning. And I remember he, um, he eventually confided with a teacher about his struggles. And then she connected me with him. And we would talk, and oh, she told me that he had said that uh, the worst of it the worst part of the day was the beginning of the day because they'd go to school and his bus got there early. So the kids who got there early would have to go, they'd go to the cafeteria and hang out. And he had nobody to sit with. You know, when you're 15, that's enormous. He'd be sitting there alone at the table and he couldn't take it. He was so self-conscious. He just was dreading it. He didn't know what to do. He said he was hanging out in the bathroom, killing time. So anyway, I, I met up with him. And uh, when we were talking, I, 
I said to him, hey, why don't you, we got mass in the morning, why don't you come to mass? We'll get you out of the cafeteria and it's a good thing, you'll be coming to mass. And anyway, this is part of what he said. I've been thinking about that first semester at St. Anthony's, my sophomore year. That was by far one of the darkest periods of my life. Having to move at 15 to a place where I knew no one was beyond brutal. They were very lonely and depressing months. Actually, it was more like a lonely and depressing year. Having to leave my friends was incredibly tough. Trying to make new ones was even worse. I remember your invitation to morning mass and honestly thinking, how is going to mass gonna help? I wanted no part of it, but the prospect of sitting alone in the cafeteria was worse than the prospect of going to mass in the morning. So I gave it a try. I'm so glad I did. At first it was just a place to hide and not feel so alone self-conscious, but eventually I began to like it. I just felt at peace in the chapel and there was a strange power in being with other kids my age, even if I didn't know them. But then, as you know, I did get to know some of them. Some became friends that I'll have forever. And by graduation, the sadness I felt at leaving St. Anthony's was greater than the fear and loneliness I felt when I began. And that's still hard to believe. The girl he was engaged to, uh, he met when he went away to college at University of Scranton. He said, I met Katie in college, and as I'm sure you remember, Scranton wasn't my first pick. I remember being in your office when I got waitlisted at Boston College. I thought it was the end of the world. Well, if I had made BC, that's where I would have gone. And there's no reason to think I'd have ever met Katie. And now I can't imagine life without her. Sometimes God seems to show up in the darkest and most unexpected places. I guess the challenge for us is to remember that when we're in those dark places. My years at St. Anthony's taught me that, and I just wanted to say thanks. Well, needless to say, I changed plans and I did that guy's wedding. <laughs> it's a great letter. I keep these letters, I guess for a couple of reasons. <laughs> Number one is they sometimes help with a homily. But more important, way more important, on dark days, discouraging days, they provide the light. God shows up in those letters or in those people who wrote those letters because God showed up in those memories, not just for me, for all of us. We just got to get better at seeing it. There wasn't just one transfiguration. It wasn't just today's gospel. They happen all the time. He shows up in our lives all the time. That's what that grieving daughter, I think, was trying to express to me in that note. 
So this Lent, let's just get better at recognizing him. On dark days, they provide the light. 